The year was 1994. A lot of movies came out that year, some big ones. The Lion King, Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, just to name a few. And a lot lower down on that list of big films in 1994 is a lesser-known Disney movie that lives rent-free in my head to this day. It is called Blank Check. Show of hands at our campuses. Anybody remember this movie? Yeah, we got some 90s kids in the room. I love it. Uh, this kind of rode the wave of some of those films in the 90s, like, like Home Alone being the biggest one where, you know, kids kind of through some hijinks and, and capers, you know, are able to outsmart uh, adults who are usually, you know, robbers or con men or something like that. And, and just to spare you the Disney Plus rewatch, because I'm not sure that it's worth your time, uh, in, in Blank Check, there's this kid named Preston and through, through kind of a, a little accidental moment, happens to get his hands on, you guessed it, a signed blank check. And then through the advanced computing technology of the mid-1990s, he is able to fill in the check for $1 million, which he cashes, and then that kind of heads into the rest of the chaos of the film. Now, that, that lives rent-free in my head because, uh, because of this, this idea that whenever there is a promise that's, that's wide open, a statement that's so big, a whatever-you-want kind of thing, like, like that metaphor, the blank check, comes to my mind. And as we continue our series, How Jesus Prayed and what he said about it, we're going to look at some statements Jesus makes about prayer that seem to be heavenly blank checks. They, they, they sound like this in Matthew 21. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Live at our campuses, everybody say, whatever you ask for. Yeah, that, there's the blank check. At least it sounds like it. Now, as we enter in, I recognize that we're going uh, to get into some deep waters in a little bit, but there's a place we need to start with, which is to take Jesus' words for, for what they're intended to communicate. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to start here. Throughout his ministry, Jesus tells us prayer is powerful and effective. Jesus tells us that prayer is powerful and effective. Through this series so far, we've seen that prayer is a place not just where we make requests of God, but where we meet with God, where we connect with God. That was Jesus' own pattern and where God has some things to say to us. In week two, we, we looked at the reality of needing to persist and be resilient in our prayers and to keep at it. And here we see the, the reason we keep praying is because Jesus wants us to believe and be encouraged that prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference, and if you are new to the hills, I'm so glad that you're with us, whether you are joining at one of our campuses or listening or watching online or maybe, uh, maybe later on podcast, Man, I want you to know, you are right now uh, listening to and, and part of a praying church, a church who believe in the power of prayer. Hills members say amen. amen. In fact, our, our vision over, the, over these, these five years is to ask for nations and generations, and to ask means to pray. 
to believe that prayer matters, that it makes a difference, that it's more than just for our devotional life. And Jesus made statements like this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask, say it one more time, whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When we hear statements and others like them from Jesus, which we'll look at today, it should convince us and encourage us that prayer, prayer is powerful. Chrysostom, a fourth century preacher and early church leader, he's got this this amazing quote, this statement about, about the power of prayer. Chrysostom says, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed the anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, healed diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stopped the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Prayer is an all-efficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. That's fourth century, but that guy can preach, man. He's got bars. Now, I was thinking about, I mean, just in our church, there's so many different stories and, and, and so many different people that could, that could tell stories about answers to prayer. And I want us to be clear, we should be excited to share those stories. We shouldn't be embarrassed. We should be excited about how God answers prayers, how he provides healing, how he intervenes, how he uses circumstances to, to bring about someone, someone saving, uh, being saved by faith. Like, like here, I'll, I'll give you an example. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite stories from last year. So... Uh, there, this, is, this is about a man named D. He, um, he, he decided he was, he was trying to kind of get plugged in, and he lives over in Grand Prairie. Uh, so this is not a story about our church. But he was trying to kind of get plugged in uh, to a church over there and decided, you know what, I'm going to make some friends, and so I'm going to go to this men's breakfast on a Saturday morning. And, um, and so he's, he's sitting there trying to kind of get to know some people, and nobody's talking to him. And he just feels like, man, I mean, he just kind of feels defeated so he, he starts to get up, and he picks up his backpack, and as he's about to leave, he prays. And in his mind, he says, God, if you want me to be here, I need you to put somebody in my path. And before he's going to leave, he goes to the bathroom, and as he's leaving the bathroom, he runs into the guest preacher for that men's breakfast that morning, who happened to be me. And he runs in, we start talking a little bit, and, uh, and, he, and, and he's kind of like, well, good to meet you, and then he starts to leave, and I'm like, whoa, hold on, I know we just had breakfast, but there's going to be worship, and, and uh, you know, I think maybe somebody's going to speak here in a little bit, I don't know, and finally I kind of confessed that I was the guest preacher, he starts laughing, and, uh, and he starts sharing that he's, he's been trying to get plugged in at church because he's been, he's been trying uh, to take steps towards sobriety and to, to change some things in his life, and God's actually been working in his life, and that's part of the reason he's there that morning, so he ends up coming to my table sitting with me and meeting some of the pastors at that church and God just starts doing something that morning. And the next day he comes to church and, and at the end of the service he's talking with me, talking one, with one of the ministers there and he looks at that minister and he goes, hey man, thanks for, you know, thanks for everything yesterday and I want you to know, and he tells the family minister at this church, my buddy, he says, I want you to know next week uh, during the invitation, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be coming down, I'm ready to get baptized. And, and my buddy, I loved it, he smiled, he goes, I love hearing that but why next week? And Dee smiled so big, and he goes, you're right. We're gonna do it right now. And we watched him get baptized that day. Like, just, 
One of those moments where you go, God, you heard his prayer, and of all the people you could put in his path, you throw the guest preacher that morning so that he feels like a big, like, okay, God just answered that prayer. And there's stories like that, all kinds of stories. We hear those stories from the mission field. We hear it in our church plants. We hear it inside of our church and at our campuses. There's so many of those great stories. And while we should without hesitation, celebrate those and give testimony to those to encourage each other. We can all recognize that our lived experience says, man, I wish it worked that way every time. Because our lived experience is that while prayer is powerful and effective, there are many situations and times when it it just doesn't seem like It's happening in response to our prayers. And I recognize, and I want to be sensitive to this, that for those, there there are some of us that these words from Jesus actually kind of, we wince hearing them. It's almost like reading those words, it's it's like pressing on a bruise on our heart because we have prayed, but then we've been met not just with a delay in an answer, but with disappointment or even tragedy. And so it can conjure this question. Jesus tells us prayer is powerful and effective, but we say, so why doesn't prayer always work? Why doesn't prayer always work the way that we think it should or expect that it would or in the way that seems to be promised by what Jesus says? Now, I want to I say, as we jump into some of this, we're going to go deep in a couple moments. And at the same time, in one message, this is a conversation starter uh, more than it is a list of answers. Uh, there are people way smarter than me who have studied way longer, who have written uh, so much more material than we're going to cover in this time together And if I could make one recommendation, if if you hear this and this whets your appetite for wanting to better understand some of the questions around prayer and even what feels like unanswered prayer, uh, one one resource I'd recommend is a book called God on Mute. And it's written by a guy named Pete Gregg. He's the the founder of 24-7 Prayer International. He's got his own testimony in his family uh, of, of unanswered prayer. But when he writes, he also, he also helps us understand something that I think is really important. He says that it is this very conviction, the belief that prayer works, that causes perplexity and pain when it doesn't. Listen to his words. Unanswered prayer is only a problem for those of us who truly believe. For others, it is simply a reassurance that they were right all along. So to ask this question, I want to make sure everybody hears this. This is not an attack on your faith, though it may feel that way. This is not a sign of your lack of faith, though you may feel some embarrassment asking that question in your heart or mind or even out loud. But what what we hear right here is what Greg's helping us understand is like, no, this is only a problem if you have faith. If you, if you take Jesus' words and say, Jesus, I want to believe what you say, which as his followers, we want to believe and trust what Jesus says. But it also means that we need to do our best to rightly understand what Jesus says and what his words mean. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at two categories 
of the, in the statements that Jesus makes that feel like these big blank checks. First category is praying with faith. Jesus makes uh, two huge statements, and they're both in similar settings in the Gospel of Matthew, which we just heard, Matthew 21. And I want to show you the version in Mark, Mark 11. In Mark's version, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, as we enter into talking about this, let me say something up front. Throughout the Gospels and in the book of Acts, there is an interesting but inconsistent relationship between faith and the effectiveness of prayer. There are times where it is the faith of loved ones or friends that actually result in healing or deliverance for someone. There, is, there are times where it is the faith of an individual that Jesus says, your, go, your faith has healed you. And so, and so part of what's hard is there's not like a neat answer to understand the relationship. There's not a formula between faith and prayer and how this works. So having said that, I want to I address something. In certain circles, this passage has been treated as if it's the only thing Jesus ever said about prayer. And it's been kind of truncated down to a simple believe and receive. As if that's all Jesus ever said about prayer. As if it's that simple. The reason I didn't want to touch any of these passages until we were a couple weeks into the series was so that we could see there's a lot more Jesus has said about prayer. And last week, Jesus talks about praying consistently, resiliently, repeatedly, which would help us understand it's not always as simple as believe and receive. Because he says we should keep on praying and not give up. So the timeline won't, even, won't always be what we want. And by the way, in some of those circles, or sometimes what we internalize, is that the idea of praying for something more than once is a sign of a lack of faith. I had multiple people talk to me last week saying, man, it was helpful to hear that Jesus said we could pray for things more than once either because they grew up in a, in a religious tradition that actually kind of looked down on repeated prayers because you weren't willing to just believe and not doubt and receive it. Or there were others who just said, man, I've just internally beat myself up because it's like I don't trust God enough if I keep praying about this. So the danger with these kind of words is if we put them in a vacuum and treat them like they're the only thing Jesus said, they can be weaponized against us and have been. The other thing that can happen is that we can end up interpreting these words in a dangerous way that makes God out to be a, a heavenly genie who grants our wishes if we can just conjure up the personal faith for it. And we should avoid this. How are we to understand these words? Well, let's start where Jesus did. Have faith in God. That's where he begins. So it, we cannot interpret these words that our faith 
should be based on our, our ability to conjure up enough faith. Because now we have faith in faith. Now if the prayer's not answered, it's our fault. Now, now if the prayer's not, not answered in the way that we want or expect, we turn back on ourselves. Yes, Jesus says we should have faith and not doubt, but our faith is not in our personal willpower that we exert on God. Our faith is in God. And faith, according to Ephesians 2, is a gift from God. So all of this is of God. If we're praying in faith, we're praying with a gift given by God. We're praying towards and and believing in what God is capable of. And what he's capable of will always be aligned with what he wills on earth. So prayers of faith have to be rooted in believing, believing in God, trusting God, and his power to act for his purposes. Now that's really important because if we stand and take these take these these words just in a vacuum and make it about our purposes well now now if we create a god who answers every prayer we pray in our timing and with the answer that we want we have a god whose will has to conform to the shape of our personal desires and shrink to the size of our pain or fear which means we no longer have an omniscient, all-powerful God. And so if we're praying not for our purposes, but for God's purposes, well, this takes us to the next category that Jesus talks about, which is praying in Jesus' name. I think this even helps us see and better understand what it means to pray in faith. In his last meal with the disciples, he makes several big blank check statements about asking for things. So I want want, want to show you some of these. John 14, verse 13 through 14. And I will do, there's that word again, say it with me at campuses, whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for, that word, anything in my name, and I will do it. Pretty sweeping statement. The next chapter, John 15 Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that, there it is, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now, similar big statements. So how are we to understand this? Well, Jesus puts conditions on this particular request, saying that we ask in his name. A couple things to note. Names in biblical times were about more than just what you called someone. According to Jewish scholar Nahum Sarna, names communicated the essence and nature of the bearer of that name. Now that partly means, hang with me here, that praying in Jesus' name is partly about cooperating with the nature and essence of who Jesus is what his purposes are. But, but how is that possible? How is it possible for us as, as sinful, finite creatures to cooperate with the essence and nature of an infinite, all-powerful, perfect, and holy God? Well, in order to understand that, I want you to hear the last time Jesus talks about asking in his name. In the next chapter in John 16... Jesus says, in that day, 
you will no longer ask me any, anything. For context, the disciples have been asking a ton of questions. Now he says, very truly I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, I don't blame you if that is kind of confusing. Hold on, Jesus, you're saying that, that these disciples, your closest followers, haven't, they haven't asked for anything in your name yet. And by the way, these are the followers who have been sent out by Jesus to cast out demons, to perform miracles, to declare the kingdom of God. You're saying these followers haven't, they haven't prayed or asked for anything in your name yet. How? Well, that's because Jesus has yet to be crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. In John's gospel, this is called Jesus' glorification. And it's only after, think about this for a moment. Those of you who are, who are more familiar with scripture, you know it's only after the resurrection that things begin to be done in Jesus' name. It's only after the resurrection that Jesus says, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's only after the resurrection that healings are pronounced in the name of Jesus. It's only after the resurrection that there are prayers in the name of Jesus. It's only after the resurrection that demons are, are, are evicted from people in the name of Jesus. And yet there's still a misunderstanding for some of us that it's like, okay, so it's just like, I need to add that. I tack that on to my prayer, and that's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. No, this is not a religious incantation. This isn't, this isn't the Christian version of abracadabra. In fact, there were, okay, I, I, just a little side tangent. Some of you need to look at Acts 19 this week, because there, there's, some, there's some guys, there, uh, uh, Jewish guys traveling around uh, who are trying to cast out evil spirits. And they hear about this in the name of Jesus stuff. And so these, uh, these sons of Sceva decide, we're going to try that. And so they, they try to do that, and they try to command. They say, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. And the demon is like, whoa, hold, hold, hold on. Like, uh, I know Paul, and I know Jesus. Who are you? And then they just, like, the, 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 the demon-possessed, they just go off on them. And the sons of Sceva end up beaten and bloody and naked and running away. And some of you just paid attention for the first time in the sermon. You're like, somebody's naked? What's going on? <laughs> I'm, t I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's a crazy story. But it's a moment where part of what's being communicated is you don't just get to tack Jesus' name onto Taylor's agenda. You don't just get to tack Jesus' name and will onto a prayer that's really about everything you want. So Dr. Tony Evans, he's got this, this great analogy. He says, being able to pray in Jesus' name, it's like being given power of attorney. That, that means that you have been put in a special place as those who have been saved by God and are now one with Christ. You've been given a special authority spiritually that must be in alignment with the one who gave you that power. Because if, if you start operating with Jesus' spiritual power of attorney, like you get to do whatever you want and not in alignment with his will, he's going to take that power back. Those prayers are not going to bear fruit. Prayers that are all about our hearts and our will and our desires, that then we tack on Jesus' name, well, those are the things that mean we're actually praying out of our nature and our essence more than Jesus's. 
Now, let me say something because this is where it can get confusing. What I'm not saying is that we can't bear our heart before the Lord. What I'm not saying is that we can't just be honest with God in prayer. We absolutely can. We are invited to do that. But it means that when we look at these statements in the Gospel of John, Jesus keeps, keeps talking to the disciples about going out and bearing fruit for the glory of God, which means that so much of what they're asking for is tied to the mission of God. It's tied to God's purposes. It's tied to what Jesus says they're going to do. And next week, we're going to look at one of Jesus' prayers for them and for us. And that means that praying in Jesus' name is tied to relationship with him, abiding in him. Like that verse we heard earlier, remain in me. So that we can pray in alignment with the nature and character and authority of Jesus. Now, here's the hard part. Probably all of us have examples of times where we're like, okay, I know that I've prayed for things that are selfish, but I've also prayed for things that I think are very much in alignment with what, who God has revealed himself to be. And it still wasn't answered. It's hard to look at the Jesus who came to earth to bind up the brokenhearted and to heal people who performed miracles in order to heal young and old alike and go, Jesus, I'm praying in your name for this person's healing. And instead of getting to plan their return home from the hospital, you're planning a funeral. It's hard to look at Jesus, the one who came to seek and save the lost, the one who the New Testament says God doesn't desire that anyone would perish, but that everyone would be saved, and to pray in alignment with your will and in your name, I'm praying for this person's salvation, and they are still lost. been praying all week about this because what I don't want anybody to hear are trite answers because we don't have them. And I'm unwilling to give them. And I know, I grew up in church, I know the Sunday school answers about this. There are no unanswered prayers. God's either saying yes or no or not yet. Intellectually, I get that. But that is little comfort when you have prayed and then the very thing you were praying wouldn't happen, happens. Those are the times where it feels like, God, do you hear me? God, are you listening? And man, there is spiritual company among the songwriters of the Bible in the Psalms who lament and ask those kind of questions in a lot more offensive ways than that. What Jesus offers us in this place of unresolved questions and of prayers that have not been answered in the way that we prayed they would and in ways that hurt or break our hearts, in ways that cause us to ask, why, God? How does this make any sense? In that place, what we are not given is, is simple, tie a bow around it answers. What we are offered is the company of Christ himself. Jesus knows the pain of unanswered prayer. 
There's a reason that every week in this series we've ended up at the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a place that Jesus, according to the Gospel of Luke, went on a regular basis. And he goes there again before he'll be betrayed and taken to the cross. And he goes there for prayer. In Mark's account, it says that going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And just for a moment, let's just walk through that prayer. He begins with Abba, Father. Abba, this word that meant Daddy. Dad, Jesus comes first affirming the personal and intimate relationship he has with God. A relationship that for anybody who is a follower of Jesus, we have too now. He is our Abba. He is our dad. And we can come affirming that he loves us, that he is intimately personal. But after that, Jesus acknowledges Everything is possible for you. The God who is intimately personal is also infinitely powerful. So when we come, we can stand on the power, the sovereignty, the infinite nature of the God who also intimately loves us. And it is these two lines in the prayer that cause most of us the biggest questions and problems. And it has for centuries. If God is an Abba who loves us and cares, why do these things happen? And if God is all-powerful and he loves us, why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he change it? Why doesn't he do something? Which causes a lot of people to say either he doesn't really love us or he can't. It is to either change God's nature and affection toward us or to shrink God's power. Jesus in the garden will hold both intention. And then to come with his request, take this cup from me. And by the way, if you've ever been that person who's wondered, can I just, can I just tell God, please, like, like, take this away. Don't do this. God, I don't want this. God, would you remove this? God, would you stop this? We can come and pray those honest, bold prayers before the Lord in the company of Christ our Savior. And then Jesus surrenders, yet not what I will, but yours be done. And take this cup from me. That is the prayer that is unanswered for Jesus in the standpoint of he is not given that request. And then on the cross, there is one more unanswered prayer. In Mark 15, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's multiple times in the Gospels where God speaks from heaven, where he he speaks a word over Jesus, where he affirms Jesus' identity, where even in John 12, when Jesus says, Father, glorify your name, and God responds and says, I have glorified it and I will. 
And yet here, with a question from the Son of God, why? Out of, out of Psalm 22 is what he's quoting, but he uses it as his own question, his own prayer. Why God? And heaven is silent. The sky is darkened. I know that there are people listening right now who have prayed that prayer and felt like you got that silence. There are people listening right now. And you have, you've prayed with all the faith that you know how to have, believing that it's in alignment with God's heart. And the answer was a Good Friday answer. And what you prayed wouldn't happen, happened. And there are others listening to me right now who are in a continued journey of praying and asking and feeling the same wound, the same struggle, the same relational strain in your family, the same chronic illness that will not yield. And there's a lot of us who actually have both stories. And in this place, what, what we're tempted to search for is answers. What we grasp for is some kind of understanding. Why, God? How long? How does this make sense? Why would you let this happen? But what Jesus gives us is his presence. And what he invites us to is continued faith and trust. Because though Good Friday took place, though Holy Saturday was filled with silence and waiting, we're here today because even in our pain and even in our questions, there is the hope of resurrection. And I believe faith and trust will take us where understanding never could. I want to ask you at all of our campuses to bow your head. Lord, you know every mind and every heart. You know every doubt and every fear. You have heard in our thoughts and from our lips every question and every lament. So we come before you asking that in only the way that you can Would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us a sense of your presence and nearness? 
would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? And in the midst of questions and pain, would you give us hope? That there is an answer yet to come. A salvation sealed today by the Spirit and secured tomorrow by Jesus Christ himself. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.